remember uh, a while ago we visited this kind of church uh, that is dying, M- maybe 15, 20 people at the church, 70s, 80s, and no kids in sight. And we were uh, beginning to build a relationship with that church to see if maybe our churches could partner or merge or something like that. And and so they allowed us to kind of explore the building. And we went downstairs where the kids area was, and it, it looked like uh, a museum. They hadn't seen a kid in ages. And there was, it almost looked like a haunted movie. It was just kind of stuff from the 70s and rusty cribs and all sorts of cobwebs. And it looked, I was expecting like a Chucky doll or something to pop out. It was kind of creepy. And they had a basketball hoop and it was no net, no rim, just kind of decrepit. There's no, no, no children. And one of the things I love about our church is all of the, the children. One of the things I love about the church is all of the babies that are being born. Next, next week we'll do baby dedications, and God is constantly bringing new children into our community. I love that. Uh, it's, it's, a, it's a sign of life. It's a sign of God's blessing. It's a beautiful thing that we get to have. And though children are a blessing, for those of you that are parents, you know that Parenting is hard. It's difficult. Some of you are grandparents and some of you are empty nesters and you know that parenting is hard. It's not easy. If you if you Google parenting, it just shows you this, which looks delightful, right? It just it's just everybody is smiling and you're teaching to ride a bikes. I don't know. I don't think we've ever been on a family walk that looked like this where strolling bike, you know, and just keep the line keeps going. I don't think that's ever happened. Uh, but that's what you do. And then if you kind of put in parenting reality, instead of just parenting, some of the kinds of images that begin to pop up are things like this, which I don't, I think this kid is drinking wine, you know? So it's just like total chaos. And then there's some things like this that pop up, you know, expectation versus reality or, uh, what you think dressing a baby is like, and then it's actually like, you know, wrestling a crocodile or uh, expectations, just nice, calmly, you know, reading and learning while hooping. And then, and there's like a Barbie that's drowning here. I love that. <clears throat> and then uh, this one, you know, maybe even for older kids, expectation, reality, sadly, everyone's just on their phones, computers. And then this is the final one. <laughs> expectation versus reality. So this is a little bit more realistic, probably, of a picture. Parenting is difficult. It's challenging. Kids are a blessing. It's a beautiful thing that God gives. It's one of my favorite things about our church. It's one of my favorite things. And yet parenting is challenging, and it gets harder. Uh, It doesn't get easy. I love Jim Gaffigan. He's a comedian. He has five children, and he talks about, you know, what's it like uh, going from three kids to four kids. And he says, well, imagine you're drowning and then someone hands you a baby. He's like, that's, that's what it's like. And parenting a lot of times just gets harder. And it, it's not something that is easy. And I talk to people with adult children. It, it never really kind of goes away. It, it is something you are constantly doing. And it's a deep blessing and yet a deep challenge. And God gives you a human life. Think about that. God gives a human life to you. That's amazing. Some of us can't even take care of a goldfish. And God's like, here's a human. Like, that's a lot. It's a huge blessing, a huge gift, and yet a huge responsibility. 
that is challenging. And I know many of you that are parents feel that. You feel the difficulty. You feel the challenge. You feel the hardness. You feel overwhelmed. You feel the pressure of trying to parent in a world where the culture is trying to parent our kids often against everything that we are trying to parent them towards. And it feels challenging. feels difficult to parent. It feels difficult. Some of you are away from family, and it's hard to raise your kids away from family. That can be a challenging thing. For those of you that have older children, sometimes there's broken relationship with your kids, and that can be challenging. And so I know that parenting is difficult. We know it's a deep blessing and yet can be challenging. I've, I've said before that sometimes, especially maybe for those of you that are stay-at-home moms, it can feel just like kind of babies, bottles, bedtime, that's it, It's which is either the slogan of a mom or a really bad club, just babies, bottles, and bedtime. That's it, you know? And that's what it kind of feels like sometimes, is that's my whole, my whole life. And there's a lot of bad ideas about parenting. There's a lot of bad ideas. I've talked to people before that would say things like, you know, it's a shame the Bible doesn't really speak much about parenting, and God doesn't really talk about it. We just kind of have to we just kind of figure it out, which isn't true. Sometimes people say things like, yeah, there's no manual for this. You just kind of got to learn as you go. And there's not necessarily a manual, but God actually does speak a lot and gives wisdom to parents. And sometimes people will even say meaningful or trying to be, uh, you know, good meaning Christian things like, uh, you know, you just have to kind of leave it up to God and, and that's it. And kind of ignore, actually, no, the Bible actually does give us a lot of instruction of how we are to live and how we're to parents and how children relate to their parents. And, and we can hear a lot of bad ideas and just kind of go with it. But God actually wants to inform our parenting. God actually wants to speak to us. We need God when it comes to parenting. We need God because there's a lot of bad ideas. And so we need him. We need his wisdom. If, if something is challenging, if something is difficult, the more so that we need God's voice to inform us. Now, let me say this. I know that not all of you are parents, but many of you will be parents. And some of you maybe will never be parents, but you will be friends with, just like I talked about in marriage, you'll be friends with people that are parents. And part of what it just means to be a church community is to hear what God says to everybody so that we can encourage one another, help one another, understand one another. Some of you will one day be parents, and this will help prepare you to understand what God's wisdom is. And there's a lot that the Bible says. This, I, As I was preparing this, I was like, man, I... I told my wife, I was like, I, I feel like I could make this six sermons, but I won't do that. Instead, it'll just be six hours. So we're just going to kind of, we have lunch coming in in just a moment. But there is so much that the Bible actually speaks to us. There is a lot that we could hear. And in this section of Ephesians, Paul is going to help us see what God's wisdom is for parenting and for children something we need. It, and here's another thing that I want to just say. Parenting is the place where much of your faith, if you're a parent, much of your faith will get lived out. Much of your understanding of who God is will come out in your parenting. It's impossible to love your neighbor if you don't think about what does that mean with my kids? Much of your faith will get lived out in the context of your parenting, much of your suffering, much of your challenges, much of your prayers will get lived out in the context of your parenting, much of your 
ministry, much of your need for ministry will get lived out in the context of your parenting. So it is essential to say, what does God say about this subject? So let's see what God says, and then we will go through God's words to children and to parents. Short section. Here's what he says. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, because this is right. Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with a promise, so that it may go well with you, and that you may have a long life in the land. Fathers, don't stir up anger in your children, but bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. Let's start with this. What does God say to children? I won't spend too long on this just because of the context. I know there are some kids here in the the room today, but I won't spend too long on this just because most of us are not uh, children at a young age. But the fact is this, God speaks to the children. I love that. You know what that means? God values kids. The fact that he actually directly addresses the children means God expects that the kids would actually, similar to today, that there's some kids in the room, God would expect that the kids are part of the church, that it's not something that he's like, eh, I'll talk to you when you're 20. Until then, doesn't really matter. God addresses children, which also means that if you are a child in this room, that he speaks to your life. He wants to talk to you. He has requirements for your life. He has things he wants to say to you that you're not kind of off the hook or God doesn't care about you until you're 20 or something. God wants to speak. God values. God cares about the kids that are in this room and all the rooms. So what does he say? Very simple. He says, obey your parents. Very simple. And then you say, well, why? Which is a common kid response. Why? And it's very simple. This is right. You can tell he's talking to kids, right? There's not a long, necessarily logical explanation. He says, obey your parents. Why? This is right. Oh, okay. It's not always that simple, but that is how he speaks, right? It's very simple instructions. And think about it. This is, I know this is not super logical. This is right. But if we think about it, it makes sense. Would it be right the other way around? If we lived in a world and Paul had said, parents, obey your children, we would go, that would create a really weird world with a lot of sugar. That would be really messed up. He says, obey your parents. This is right. Very simple instruction. So if you're a child in this room, I'd see some of you. If you're a child in this room, says, obey your parents. This is right. This is your job, kids. Your job is to obey your parents. That is the instructions that we get from God. But he says, obey your parents. And then he says, obey your parents in the Lord. And, and that is to help you understand this, especially for those of you that, are, that would say, I'm, I'm a Christian. This is saying, this is your responsibility if you're a Christian with Jesus. This isn't just a obey your parents because it's right, although that's a part of it. It's not just because, you know, that your parents want you to. But if you're a Christian, your obedience to your parents, your obedience to your parents is your relationship with God. That's where it starts. Your obedience to your parents is an expression of your obedience to God. Your obedience to your parents is a way that as a child, you most honor God. Your obedience to your parents is the way that you specifically live out at this stage in your life a large part of what God's calling is in your life. 
So it's not just to your parents, but it is actually to God. And in the Lord also means that you can't really function in a healthy relationship with your parents without God's help. Is it difficult sometimes to obey your parents? No amens, please, from the front row. Is it difficult sometimes to obey your parents? Yes, probably. And what that means is that we, if it's in the Lord, we pray. We pray. We say, this is not just about me and them. It's about me and God. And so, God, I need your help to obey what you have given me to do. I want to honor you. I want to love you. So I need your help. Obey your parents in the Lord. It means it's a key Christian duty. And then he also says, honor your father and mother. Similar to obedience, but a little bit different. He says, honor your father and mother. Now listen, don't buy the lie. And this is true for you that are children, but also for you that are parents. Don't buy the lie that it's just a normal, natural thing for kids to dishonor their parents. I used to believe that. I used to believe, ah, it's just kind of normal. I remember when I was a teenager hearing from adults, oh, teenagers are just brain dead, and that's just kind of what they're going to be until they're a certain age. And that's I, I heard that from Christian adults a lot, probably very cynical, sad people. And that isn't true. It's not true. There's, we are all image bearers of God, and, and we can not live in line with what the culture says being a teenager or being a kid is supposed to be. He says, honor your father and mother, that that's actually the approach that we should have. Obedience and honor should be the norm. That should be the Christian norm. And if you're a kid, don't buy into the lie that it's just kind of fine and it's okay and that's what everybody does. And if you're a parent, don't buy into that lie either. That is, listen, the the culture around us says it's normal, fine, maybe even good to just kind of stick it to your parents. I don't know if you've seen this movie, Turning Red, one of the more recent Pixar movies. Here's the opening line from the movie. Opening line. The number one rule in my family is honor your parents. Honoring your parents sounds great, but if you take it too far, you might forget to honor yourself. So you uh, put on a movie for your kids downstairs thinking, oh, this will be good for them and just nice entertaining. And then they come up and you're like, why are they so disrespectful? I don't know what's going on. Huh? Who cares? Just move on. See, the world around us doesn't believe that this is the norm. The world around us doesn't believe that this is actually good that it's actually important, and that it's actually possible. The biblical expectation for children is that they obey their parents and that they honor their father and mother. This is God's vision, which is a lot better. God's vision is a lot better than what we would create. To honor means to treat weighty. It means to have, and listen, if you're an adult, you can honor your parents as well. It's not the same thing as obedience, but you can honor your parents. To honor means to treat as weighty to show respect. One of the ways, especially for you that are adults, that we can honor our parents is to thank them. Have you ever said to your parents, like, thank you. I realize I was mean to you sometimes. I think sometimes I might have disobeyed you. Thank you for everything you did. One of the ways that adults can honor their parents is to appreciate them, to thank them. They don't live here, to call them. To Mother's Day's coming up. You still have a week to give a Mother's Day present to them. Well, not to them, but and then Father's Day, to both of them. To honor your parents is to thank them, to serve them, to listen to them. It's for Again, for those of you that are adults, as our parents age, to take care of them. 
you know that's actually a biblical expectation is that is that you are supposed to take care of your parents as they age, not just stuff them into a government home. I could preach on that, but we're to take care of our parents. Uh, I don't know. Maybe some of you aren't ready for that one, so we'll move on from that. <clears throat> so this is what God says to children, and then he does conclude it with this promise, so that it may go well with you and that you may have a long life in the land. He gives a promise to it. He adds this incentive to say, children, obey your parents. Why? Because it's right. Okay, got it. And then secondly, he says, it will go well with you, which means that as you honor and obey your parents, generally speaking, it will go well with you. Have you ever looked back at your life and gone, man, I wish I would have listened to what my parents would have said. I wouldn't have done this. I wouldn't have done that. I wouldn't have made this mistake. I wouldn't have been with that person or this person. I'm not saying our parents are infallible or that it's perfect, but generally speaking, especially if they're Christian parents, it will go well with you and you will live a long life in the land. You'll experience God's blessing. Obviously, there are wicked, evil parents, okay? So I'm not saying that every parent is godly and if you just do exactly what they say, that's not, Paul is speaking within the context of a Christian community. But generally speaking, in a Christian community, if you honor and obey your parents, it'll go well with you in the land. You'll experience God's blessing. So this is what God says to parents. What does God, excuse me, to children? What does God say to parents? We'll spend more time on this. What does God say to parents? What is God's wisdom? Not just what is the most recent, I don't know if there's dad blogs. I was going to say not the most recent mom blog, not the most recent influencer, not the parenting book. But what, is, what does God say? To parents? What is God's wisdom that he wants to give to us? And again, there's a lot in the Bible, particularly the book of Proverbs is very helpful, but even this small little section, we can glean a lot that God gives to parents. And let me make two kind of introductory points and then the rest. But here's the first one. The first is that this starts in chapter six. Okay. This section on children and parents starts in chapter six which is implying this. This is the first thing that God says to parents by implication. It starts with our relationship with God. Paul doesn't start talking to parents until chapter 6, and he has spent all these other chapters, particularly chapters 1 through 5, the beginning, to the beginning of 5, talking just about your relationship with God, his salvation of you, what God's done in your life, how he has saved you, how he has brought you from death to life, how he's been gracious to you, his expectations on you as someone that's in his family, urging us to live a life worthy of the calling, all of these things just about us and God. And so it doesn't happen until he gets to chapter five, mid chapter five, that he begins to talk about marriage. And then he begins to talk about children in chapter six. Then he begins to talk about work and these implications that begin from the, here is all the salvation and blessings and everything that God has done for you. So what that means is this, your parenting, begins with your relationship with God. All that he's going to say to parents and children and marriage, like we talked about the last couple of weeks, it's built on what comes before. It's built on what comes before. See, we, we want to help our kids with various things. We want to help them learn different skills, want to help them learn job, want to help them learn uh, you know, school and various lessons that we want to teach them. But what is the most important thing that you can give to your kids. It's your relationship with God. It's not their relationship with God. Sometimes that's what parents think. The most important things I can give my kids is their relationship with God. No. Most important thing you can do for your kids is give them your relationship with God. This is actually 
based, uh, not based, it's actually backed up by research. This is a, by a sociologist named Christian Smith called Handing Down the Faith, How Parents Pass Their Religion On to the Next Generation. This is the most comprehensive study that was done on what is it that leads to kids continuing and maintaining their faith as they grow older. And it says the empirical evidence is clear. In almost every case, no other institution or program comes close to shaping youth religiously as their parents do. Not religious congregations, youth groups, faith-based schools, missions and service trips, summer camps, Sunday school, youth ministers, or anything else. Those influences can reinforce the influence of parents, but almost never do they surpass or override it. What makes every other influence pale into virtual insignificance is the importance, or not, of the religious beliefs and practices of American parents in their ordinary lives. The most important thing that's going to influence your kid's faith is the religious beliefs and practices in your ordinary life. That's what it's going to be. Not only on holy days, but every day, throughout weeks and years. That is the most important thing. Really, that's what Paul is saying to us by the time he gets to chapter 6, and he gives a little bit of instruction to parents, but you might go, why isn't there more? Well, it's because he's already spent five chapters talking to you about the Christian life. And if that is true, and if that is happening inside of you, and if that is how you relate to God, and if you know that God has saved you, and you relate to God, and you have a relationship with him, and you're able to repent of sin, and you're walking with him, and you are zealous for the good works that he has prepared for you, and you are living out your faith in the normal life, that's already 90% of what it means to parent. Because the most important thing for your kids is your relationship with God. If your kids, let me say it this way, if your kids had your relationship with God, would that be good? If your kids related to God in their ordinary life the way that you do, would that be good? Is that what you would want for them? It starts when they're born. It starts before they're born. What I mean by that is it starts before they're born is right now, your relationship with God isn't going to automatically change once you have kids. Sometimes people think that, oh, I've got a kid now. I better kind of get things together. Your, this is why this is relevant to everybody. If one day you hope to have children, your relationship with God now is what you will pass on to your kids. And it starts when they're born, meaning it doesn't start when they're 12 and you think, okay, now I'll start having some conversations with, it starts now, wherever you are, it's already started. Your relationship with God is what they most need. If they had what your relationship was with God, with reading the Bible, with involvement in church, with serving God's mission, with financial generosity, with loving their neighbor, if they had that, would that be good? That's the first kind of introductory thing. The second thing, and similar logic, is that your marriage is first and your children are second. And where I'm getting that is, is similarly, Paul has all these instructions about our faith. Then he talks about marriage. Then he talks about parenting. Why does he do it in that order? Well, often it's because one comes before the other. And because God knows that what your kids need is a marriage that is showing them the beauty and the picture of the gospel that we spent the last two weeks looking at. Marriage is intended 
to be a picture of God's relationship with the church. It's intended to be this picture of we have this amazing Savior that would give up his life for his bride. And if that is showing in a marriage, as husband and wife relate to one another, if it's showing this beautiful, gospel-loving, laying down your life, serving, respecting picture, if that's what marriage is shining, that's what your kids need. That is what they need to be able to see. And yet, oftentimes, oftentimes what actually happens is that marriages, they might start kind of, we love each other, and this is great, and you know, two people don't normally come together and go, I don't really like you, I don't really like you either, but let's get married. Usually there's a lot of love and passion, but then what happens is you get married, and a lot of times it can turn really businessy, especially when you have kids. Everything becomes about we're caring for these two, three, four, five, six, small, one small person, and everything becomes about that, and they've got activities, and they've got hobbies, and they've got this, and we're, we're kind of managing our life around them. And that might feel good. That might feel right. The kids might even go, that's awesome. This is all about me. But it's actually not the way God designed things. Because then the marriage isn't showing them the picture of the gospel that they're intended to see. There's a kind of world-renowned psychologist who writes a lot on marriage. His name is John Gottman. And in the University of Washington, he has what's called the Love Lab. And they are able to predict with 97%, I think, accuracy if couples will get divorced. They have couples come in and they kind of do these different tests and they've been able to predict with 97% accuracy if they'll get divorced. And so his writing is really helpful. And one of the things that he talks about is child-centered marriages. And here's what he says. In a child-centered marriage, kids can become the great distraction, a convenient way to ignore your need for adult conversation or romance or to sidestep marital marital problems that ought to be addressed. Examples of child-centered couples might include the pair who points to a child's sleep patterns as the reason that they've stopped having sex. The partners who say that between Little League, Scouts, Science Projects, there's absolutely no time for that weekend getaway. The couple that claims that the husband's job must be the primary focus of his life because the family needs a substantial income to send the kids to the best colleges. See the pattern? The couple's needs are always trumped in favor of the kids's. But in the long run, the children's needs aren't really being served at all. The sad irony is that in trying to create the perfect life for their children, parents fail to provide what kids need most, a happy home. That's from a non-Christian perspective, but it's very similar to the logic that Paul lays out, which is that he he spends a way longer chunk talking about marriage and this beautiful gospel picture that marriage is supposed to be. Because when that happens, it's actually providing the context for the kids of what they most need. And so, if you're married, is all your energy going to just managing the kids and doing kind of the list of things that Gottman said? Or is your spouse your priority? If not, go back. If you weren't here the last two weeks, or even if you were, go back. Listen to those sermons. Get practical. Actually write down the things. Have conversations. It's okay. And sometimes we get off track. Don't just hear this and be like, crap, I guess we have a child-centered marriage. It's over, 97%. It's it's okay. You can recognize problems and go, okay, we got to address some things. Let's fix some things. God meets us where we are, not where we should be. So it's always okay to be honest and go, yeah, things maybe have been messed up. Okay, that's fine. Let's go back. Let's address things. Let's confess. Let's work on stuff. That's okay. God... God, God can change things powerfully when we start to turn towards him. It's actually really amazing. You might think I've messed 10 years up 
And so now I've got to get 10 years right, and then, we're, and then we'll be at zero. That's not how God works. You can go 10 years wrong and begin to turn to God, and within a matter of a short amount of time, God can change things when we present our hearts and our lives to him. So from a marriage standpoint, what change do you need to make? This is not biblical law, but I would encourage you and say you at least need to probably have a daily, every other daily conversation that isn't just businessy about the kids, but it's connecting with one another, a weekly or bi-weekly date night, whether that's out or just in, but the kids are out, <laughs> where you're able to just have good conversation and connect with one another. That, that's the kinds of things that prioritize your marriage, which actually blesses your kids. Third thing. Now, not kind of the preface building in, but what Paul actually then begins to say is here's what the goal is. The goal is to bring them up. That's the goal. Bring them up. Now, that word, bring them up, is the word for nourishing or feeding. But it can be used saying, give them what they need. It's to develop them into who they are supposed to be, bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. So it's not bring them up just in, in, uh, in general, but to bring them up in the Lord. To bring them up means to give them what they most need. But what he doesn't say, though obviously this is true, he doesn't say nourish them, give them what they need, give them food, give them shelter. He doesn't say that. He says, bring them up. And you know what they need? They need to live in a context that is built on the Lord, on Jesus. That is what they need, to bring them up in that, all of life with him, all of life knowing him, loving him, understanding who he is, understanding his word and what he says. That's what they need. That's, what it, that's the goal. The goal of parenting is to bring them up in the Lord. That's the goal. And oftentimes as parents, we can have all sorts of other different goals. In priority, maybe not stated, but in, in practice. So the calendar is filled with sports and it's filled with activities and it's filled with, we want to make sure they get a good education and we want to make sure they are well-rounded human beings and we want to make sure that they have the right hobbies and we want to make sure that they've got time here. We want to make sure their childhood wasn't like our childhood and we, we've got all sorts of kind of priorities. And yet this is one that often just falls away or is assumed. But the goal of parenting should be to bring them up in the Lord. That is the goal. Bring them up in the Lord. What is your vision for parenting? What is your vision for your family? What is your vision for your kids? Your kids need you to bring them up. That's what they need. They need, and let me be specific, they need you. Just like Christian Smith, the sociologist, said, it's not that they need a youth group. It's not that they need the church. It's not, we have True Life Kids happening back there. That's great, but it's all supplementary. They need you. You are the primary disciple makers of your kids. You are the ones that God has tasked with this responsibility. Do you think that 2,000 years ago, they had a, a Jerusalem kids and it was like you walked into the house, and then they're like, oh, come, Jerusalem kids, right this way. And they had T-shirts and all that. I mean, that's, that's fun. I'm glad we have that stuff. But a lot of times Christian parents think it's the job of the church to do this. It's not. It's your job. This is a nice little supplement. It's icing on the cake. It's ranch for the fries. But it's not the main thing. The main thing is you. 
And I love ranch. Nothing against ranch. Yeah. <laughs> but it's you God has given this responsibility to. And if you don't do it, somebody else will. Somebody else will seek to bring up your kids in the way that they want to bring them up. Schools, the world around us, their friends will seek to bring them up into their vision. Pixar, God help us. <clears throat> so this is your responsibility. It's what God has given to you. And particularly, he says, fathers. This is helpful for all parents. But again, sadly, oftentimes in the church, we think it's the church's job. Or sometimes, if it's not the church's job, it's the mom's job. Now, both parents are vitally important, but Paul speaks to fathers specifically because you are tasked with leading your family. And if you think that you can kind of delegate that off to your wife, you are in sin, plainly. I was trying to sugarcoat it for a second, but I decided not to. It's wrong. You are called to be actually the primary leader, discipler in your home. You cannot delegate that away. Yes, it's a partnership. Yes, you do it together. Yes, everybody is important. Yes. But there's a reason that he specifically speaks to fathers. You are called to lead your home. You can't delegate that away. <clears throat> Fourth thing. First, starts with your relationship with God. Second, prioritize your marriage. Third, the goal is to bring them up. Fourth, what this implies, by the way, this is the fourth thing. What bring them up implies is that they're not there. So what bring them up implies is we should expect challenges. We should expect sinfulness. We should expect difficulty. If our job is to bring up to this beautiful, mature, wonderful adult in the Lord, if that's the goal, then that implies they don't start there. They start as whining, selfish, mine people, right? And we have to grow them up into loving, caring, serving in the Lord people. So here's what that means. That's actually really encouraging because what it means is the challenges and the things that are difficult that you face, God isn't like, what? I didn't, how, why is it going like this? They're crying? Why are they such a crybaby? I don't know, like what? Why aren't they? God knows that. He knows that it's challenging and we should expect it, it doesn't start up. That means it starts down, and we should expect that. We should expect there's challenges, there's difficulty, there's sinfulness. We should expect that. And that should give us a sense of patience. That should give us a sense of commitment that this is a long-haul thing, not just a, okay, I need to make sure everything changes on Tuesday. But this is a, a long-haul thing. It should give us a patience. It should give us a commitment to know this is a process. It should help us know this is going to be hard. But I'm committed to my children, to God, to walk through a process. So you can expect challenge. That's what bring them up helps us to understand. But let me tell you this, parents, too. God gave you your kids. God gave you your kids. God knew, I want to give these kids to you. He assigned them to you. And so if you feel like, I don't understand, why can't I have those kids? Why can't I do a, a, an exchange? 
or these kids, they sleep better. These kids, they, they are more respectful. These, God gave you your kids. He wants them for you, and he's entrusted them to you. So all the difficulty, all the challenge, bring them up implies we can expect difficulty, and it's God-ordained and God-known difficulty. And that's okay. Fifth, the language that he uses, training and instruction. We'll talk about each of these. To train has a proactive element to it. It's really about proactive teaching, instructing, coaching, helping them see things, know things, develop them in the Lord. So to train is proactive. And here's what's often said. I, as a pastor, hear many of you as adults, as adult children, say things like, yeah, my parents never talked to me about faith. They never talked to me about God. They never talked to me about emotions. They never talked to me about sex. They never talked to me about relationships. They never talked to me about church. They never. I hear that from you and others throughout my years in ministry all the time, even in Christian homes. We went to church, but my parents never talked to me about long list of things. And yet the call of parents is to train. And if it doesn't come from you, like I said, they will be trained from somebody. But our job, our goal is to train them in the instruction of the Lord, to guard them from certain things and to give them certain things. Back to Christian Smith, he says that what matters most is your faith, but after your faith, there are certain practices or certain things that you can do. One of them, I'll show you two that he talks about that are most important. One of them is the parenting style that you have, which I think really matches with training and instruction. He says, it's broadly true that the religious parents who most successfully raise religious children tend to exhibit an authoritative parenting style. Such parents combine two crucial traits. First, they consistently hold their children to clear and demanding expectations, standards, and boundaries in all areas of life. Second, they relate to their children with an abundance of warmth, support, and expressive care. It's not hard to see why this parenting style works best for raising religious children. The combination of clear expectations and effective warmth is powerful in children's developmental formation. It's not, oh, and then the second thing is, well, actually, let me just make a comment on that. It, it's not just law, do this, and it's not just, hey, everything's great, let's just hug and kiss. It is a, he calls it authoritative parenting style because there's a spectrum of different styles, but the authoritative parenting style is clear, demanding expectations because we are parenting them in the instruction and in the training of the Lord. And yet, because it's in the Lord, God is not a evil God. His instructions are good and wonderful. And in the Lord means God is gracious and loving and tender and warm and affectionate to us. So God is both of those things, right? God is, here is clear expectations for your life. And I love you. And I'm absolutely for you. And I'm filled with grace and physically wrap my arms around you. God is both of those things. God is neither just do what I say and shut up. And God is neither just a feel-good teddy bear in the sky. God gives us clear instructions and expectations and boundaries, and he showers us in his love and grace and affection. That is what it means in the Lord. And that is why it is actually the most data-driven, best parenting style. And then the next thing that they can do is routine talking about religion. A second trait of parents who successfully pass on religion, faith, and practice to their children 
is that as a normal part of family life during the week, they talk with their children about religious things, what they believe and practice, what it means and implies, and why it matters to them. Routine, normal, everyday talking about religion or faith or God or Christianity. Routine, normal, everyday talking. This is what it means to train in the instruction of the Lord. That's what it means. Also, one other study I'll show you really quick is the practices of kids, the best predictors of spiritual health among young adults of what they did when they were kids, reading the Bible as children. Huge, beyond anything else. These are, I'm just showing you the top four. Children who regularly spent time in prayer. Children regularly served in church while growing up. Children who listened primarily to Christian music. Those four things were the best predictors of spiritual health as a young adult. So what does it mean to raise our kids in the instruction of the Lord, to train them? It means that we are helping them cultivate these practices. It means that we are doing it in the Lord as him, authoritative, gracious, both of those things combined. He says, raise them, bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. That's training. Let me say this too. This is hard to do casually or just like, oh, let's just kind of see what happens. I really am a big believer in using various resources that can help you. Whether we've, we've, I often, in the newsletter coming up, I'll send some things out, but it's hard. That's why I often recommend the New City Catechism. We have different books. We have different children's Bibles that we recommend, different parenting books, different... I mean, it's hard to kind of do all of this without help. You can, but it is often very difficult to do all this without help. You need resources that help you have conversations with your kids about God and sin and life and faith and gender and God's calling and mission and apologetics. And I mean, from the time that they're little to the time that they're older, you need help to use resources to help your kids. But you can do it. The next part is the instruction, the training and instruction of the Lord. And the instruction has a little bit more of kind of a warning flavor to the word. The training has a little bit more of a proactive idea. The instruction has a little, and different translations will use, um, I think, the nourishment and admonition of the Lord, or different translations will have something that kind of pulls out the, the meaning a little bit more uh, very, a little bit more uh, specific. But the instruction has a little bit more of a flavor of warning, rebuke, discipline. Proverbs is filled with good instruction on what good discipline looks like. But the instruction is our discipline of our kids. It is unloving to not discipline your kids. It's unloving. We sometimes think it's loving to, I'll just kind of let it be, but we are to lovingly discipline our kids. We are to instruct them in the Lord. It is easy. I tell my kids this all the time. It's easy. It would be easy if I said, I'm never disciplining again. That would be easy because you can just go, I don't care. Do what you want. I don't care. What's the worst that happens? You end up in jail and then eh, that makes my life really easy. Like it's easy not to discipline your kids, which means it's unloving. It actually costs us as parents to say, I'm going to be consistent. I'm going to enter. I'm going to do it with a good attitude. I'm going to be gentle, but authoritative. That's hard. That's actually challenging to discipline in the Lord. And yet it's what God calls us to do. 
There's a lot I could say about discipline, and I'm not going to just from a time standpoint. But discipline's important, and you should learn how to do it. The end. Uh, so I'm happy to talk to you about it if you'd like to know. But it's important to, to discipline, to teach that there's consequences to sin, to teach that God forgives, we can be restored, we can be reconciled. All of those things are important. And then here's the next one. This is really important also. He says, fathers, don't stir up anger in your children. Mothers, the same thing, but maybe fathers have a particular temptation towards this. Here's what this means. This is point number seven, if you're following along. I know I don't have these up here, but we can get it wrong. Parents, we can get it wrong. You are not God. You might be his representative in your home, but you are not God, and we can get it wrong. The fact that Paul says, don't do this, means you can mess up. You can get it wrong. I know I have many, many, many times. We can get it wrong. We can mess up with our kids. We can, and listen, I think this is particularly true for those parents that are trying to do it right. Because if you don't care and you just say, do whatever you want, there's probably not going to be a lot of opportunity to do this. But as you are seeking to lovingly bring them up in the instruction of the Lord, to teach them, to train them, to warn them, discipline them, to help them, to sway them against the, the other outside influences, to raise them up in the Lord, it's easy to be tempted to get it wrong. Don't stir up anger in your children means this. It doesn't just mean don't make your kids angry because your kids can get angry about all sorts of things. That's not what it means. But the don't stir up anger is word that is talking about unright. You are living unrighteously towards them in such a way that it is provoking anger in them. That if you are being unjust, that if you are being excessively harsh, that if you are, that they have a bad attitude and so uh, they're, they're complaining and then you're complaining that they're complaining that you are mirroring the, the same thing that you don't want to see. They're throwing a temper tantrum, and then you throw a temper tantrum that they're throwing a temper tantrum, and then wonder why they throw a temper tantrum back. So it, it is that you are unrighteously doing things that provoke in them anger. It's not just when they get angry because you didn't let them, hey, you're stirring up anger in me. You need to let me watch four hours of TV. You're stirring up anger in me. You need to let me. That's not what it means. It means that you are living unrighteously towards them in such a way that it's tempting them to respond with anger towards your instruction and discipline and teaching. Parents, we can get it wrong. We can be unreasonable. We can be just critical and negative. We can be hypocritical. We can neglect. We can be inconsistent, disciplining for something one time and then not for three weeks. And what the heck? What's the standard? What am I supposed to do? What am I supposed to know? We can get it wrong. And what that means is this. Confess your sin to your kids. I hope my parents aren't listening today, but I, I, don't, I don't remember my parents ever confessing sin to me. Now, I might be wrong. Kid brain is often tainted. But I, I don't remember them ever confessing sin to me. And I'm not saying I do this perfect, but I try to, if I, am, if I do this or other things, to say, I'm sorry, will you forgive me? And try to show that I'm a sinner too. We can get it wrong too. We want to, we want to not get it wrong, but Paul is saying, you might get it wrong. And so confess to your kids. Teach them what repentance looks like. Help them forgive you. God gives us grace when we get it wrong. That's why he addresses it. He gives us grace. And then the final point here is this. Um, 
<clears throat> oh, sorry, I'll go back to this. The final point is that implied by this is that what God wants in your home, what God wants in your family, what God wants in your parenting, what God wants isn't just obedience. He does want that, but God wants there to be joy in your home. Otherwise, he wouldn't care about this line. He would just say, make them all obey, and if they don't, you know, put them in the basement and lock it. He wouldn't, he wouldn't give this warning about not there being anger and being careful how you parent because God wants obedience. He wants them to be raised in, to, in the Lord. But what God wants is joy in your home. That's what God's after. That's what God, because he wants it to reflect the gospel, the good news of who he is, that life with God is good and beautiful. One final question is what help do parents have? There is a lot that, that we're talking about here, even in a small section. And no one should think in hearing all this, got it. If any of you are just like, check, 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 got it. My relationship with God, marriage first, go bring them up, expect that they're sinful, train them, instruct them. I sometimes get it wrong, and God wants joy. Done. We shouldn't feel that way. We should hear this and go, that is a lot. That's challenging. That's difficult. If you don't have kids, you should have the fear of God in you a little bit and be like, wow, that's a lot. I thought it was just kind of birds and the bees, and there you go, boom, kids, everything's great. I thought the Google image was actually from your scrapbook. I thought that was just what it is. But God doesn't leave us alone. He gives us help. Listen, all of us have learned to be parents mainly by being parented. Most of the way that we learn to be parents is through our parents, for good or for worse. We learn to be parents by being parented. But the main help that we will receive, therefore, is by remembering how God has parented us. And you know, the book of Ephesians is filled with calling God Father. Before Paul gets to this instruction to parents, he's already multiple times said, remember how God is your father? Remember how God's been your father? Remember what God's done to you as your father? Building up, oh, so God has fathered me. God has parented me. That teaches you. It trains you. It shows you then how to parent. Look at some of the things he says. Grace to you and peace from God our Father. The Father that you have is one that's filled with grace and peace to you. That's the Father that you have in God. Blessed is the God and Father of our Lord Jesus, who's blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavens in Christ. We have a God, we have a Father who has blessed us with physical things, but the most important, the spiritual thing, he's blessed us. That's the Father that we have. We have a Father that gives us wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of Him. One that says, I want you to know me. I want you to see more and more. He, he lets you in to know Him. That's similar to this one, that we have access to the Father. That God says, I, I give you myself. I'm available. I want you to actually know me more and more and more. I'm not cut off. I'm not distant from you. I give you access to me. That's the Father that you have in God. He says, I pray that he may, the Father, I pray that he may grant you, according to the riches of his glory, to be strengthened with power in your inner being. We have a Father that says, I want to continually give you more. We have a Father that seeks to raise us up, to strengthen us from wherever we are. And we have a Father, finally, and see how this is moving. Ephesians 5, all this is building to Ephesians 6. He says, therefore, after all these things he's told, be imitators of God as dearly loved children. Even specifically saying, look at the way that you have a father. You are his kid. Look how he has parented you. 
and imitate that. Walk in love. Look who the Father is that you have. You want, you want help? Look to the Father. You, you might have had an imperfect father. You probably, we all have an imperfect father. You might have had a bad father. You might have had bad parents. But it doesn't matter what kind of family that you had. You have the perfect father in God who has loved you, blessed you, given you access to him, who seeks to strengthen you. And the more that we experience that, the more we are able to then reflect that out to our kids. That's where parenting begins, as I said before, with our relationship with God. The more you learn and experience his father, the more you can give that to your kids. So parenting is hard. That's, it's no joke, but it's a great blessing. And we want to honor that blessing. We want to steward that blessing by reflecting what God has done for us. So how do you do that? First, we need to let him define it. Let his wisdom speak to us and then be shaped by who he's been to us. In some ways, very simple. In other ways, a lifelong process. We're going to take communion. If you're a Christian, what we do when we take communion is we're remembering. If you didn't grab one of those little cups on the way in, you can. What we do as Christians when we take communion is we remember that Jesus' body was broken for us. His blood was shed for us. And it's that gift that gives us access to the amazing Father that we have. It is because of what Jesus did for us on our behalf that we are able to have this perfect, loving Father. And so we can thank Jesus for giving us perfectly what imperfectly maybe we never had. And we can thank Jesus for forgiving us, especially for those of you that are parents or children, forgiving us for our sin of disobedience and dishonor and provoking our children to anger and all, all the different things that Paul lays out. We can receive forgiveness knowing he forgives me. He's for me. He gives me access to him through Jesus. Imagine if our family looked more like the fathering that we received from God. Imagine if our families looked more and more like that. If, that was, if, if our church created just dozens and dozens of babies that grew up in homes that, that show God's Father. And imagine what would happen. That's the kind of people we want to be. That's the kind of church that we want to be. That's, the kind of, that's how we want to be committed to one another, to helping create thriving, intentional families. So as you take communion, receive God's grace, confess sin, and remember the good Father that we have. Let's pray. Father, I thank you that you are perfect to us. I thank you that you are the faithful father, the loving father, the gracious father, the blessing father, the strengthening father. I thank you that you are perfect to us as your kids. You have loved us with a perfect love as your children. God, I pray for every mother and father that we would reflect your parenting of us. Forgive us of our sins and help us to raise the children that you have stewarded to us in a way that reflects you. Help us as a church community, whether we have kids or not, to encourage one another and build one another up towards this. We pray these things in your name, Jesus. Amen.